0: Hello, welcome back to Gritty Leaders Club and Strategy Part 3, our third podcast about strategy. I like to say that strategy is invisible, all you can see is an execution. Today's podcast is about execution, so in a way this is the, the important one to get to.
1: And I'm here with Ian Windle. Hi Ben, good to be back. How are you doing? I'm great, I'm great. I'm looking forward to this one. As you say, it's where the rubber hits the road, isn't it? As the Americans would say. Yes, they would. Yes, they would. But before that, Ian,
0: as we always do, let's start with what's caught your attention. What has caught your attention?
1: Well, um, I've been reading, uh, I might have said before in a previous podcast, the Barack Obama book, A Promised Land, which is a huge book. It's like 750 pages. So I haven't finished it. I'm about three quarters of the way through. But uh, but it's a great book. Um, and um, I've also just tuned into a Brené Brown podcast, which uh, I love Brené Brown. Oh, she's fantastic. She, she's great, isn't she? We ought to do a whole episode. Why don't we get her as an interviewee? Wouldn't that be lovely to go? Impossible, but maybe we should try. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, Brené Brown was also interviewing Barack Obama. And so I thought this has to be good. And it was one hour of The Great Man. Um, being interviewed on all sorts of subjects from marriage to being the president to taking hard decisions to uh, Really his life in a, in a you know in a short space of time and but the fascinating thing I took out of that was um, about decision-making and For me, it's absolutely relevant to leaders who might be listening to this um, and so there's various things I took but um He kind of started with um, as president of the United States he said by the time a decision gets to me the easy decisions have already been made and I thought well that just resonates as a leader Um, and what he meant by that was if it 's an easier decision, it gets made before it doesn't even get to you as a leader. you know it gets made in a department in a in a team, but like it doesn't come up to you. Yes. you only get when you're the CEO or you're a department head or you're a key executive. you get tough decisions they're not they're not eighty twenty ninety ten decisions these are these are fifty five forty five percent decisions these are you know there are ambiguities and and you're going to annoy some people with the decisions you make um and uh, yeah, you know one of the lots of things came out a bit for me, but you know things like um, uh, the decisions you make uh, will be imperfect. Get used to it as a leader. You don't have all the facts. Um, just because something doesn't have a perfect answer doesn't mean there isn't a better answer. And I thought that's really good as well, because sometimes we know when we make a decision as a leader it's not going to suit everyone Uh, but we have to make an answer and as he said as president you you had you always had to take action you couldn't not take action so and it's the same as leaders you know we we have to make we have to take action we have to uh, assemble all the facts we have to listen a lot and he talked a lot about listening to people first which we know is a a vital thing for leaders Um, and you know he said uh, you have to have a level of comfort with ambiguity so yeah that was what i've been noticing um fascinating book great interview uh on on one of brene brown's podcasts and um i just i just find his voice uh soothing and you know the way he constructs a sentence wouldn't i love to construct sentences like he does they're they're well thought through he's a lawyer by background of course um And uh, yeah, just one last thing to leave on, which was fascinating. You know, she was, Brandon Brown was saying, Where do you think it comes from that you're able to deal with this level of ambiguity? And he said, Well, he said, "I, I grew up in Hawaii. My mother was from Kansas, sort of working to middle class, very American. My father was born in Kenya. And I had to struggle for a long time to think, Who am I and where's my place in the world? And he said, Actually, that stood me in very good stead because once i'd figured it out he said you know i'm from nowhere but i'm from everywhere
0: Mm. Mm. and
1: that gave him a lot better place to kind of understand what his values were that would anchor him in order to make great decisions and he said by the time he got into his 30s he felt very capable of making decisions and that you know that's really interesting and kind of the background piece as well great i've been thinking
0: actually a bit about about decisions or or choices. A decision is a choice, isn't it? And often we make choices to answer some sort of problem or opportunity that has appeared for us or appeared for the team or the company. And I found a nice model drawn up by a guy called Grint, and it's a nice model that tells us there's three types of problem, but I suppose also three types of decision. And he calls them critical decisions, tame decisions and wicked decisions. And the progression from critical to tame to wicked is two things. One is the degree of uncertainty there is about the the problem itself and also its outcome and what will happen next. So the degree of uncertainty, unknowns, unpredictability as well. And then the other dimension is... The extent that the answer relies increasingly on the leadership of a number of people Hmm. and the coordination and leadership across people. So critical problems or critical decisions, these are simply, of the moment, urgent. The decision has to be taken now. We need to take something of a, a command approach. People need to hear, hey, this is what you do, and do it now. And then the tame decisions, the tame problems and decisions, these are amenable to planning. We need a bit of time, but involve the right expertise, the right thought processes, and we will arrive at the answer. So they're in the middle, amenable to, to planning. And then the wicked problems, these are the ones that Barack Obama is is talking about. They're really uncertain. There's no right or wrong answer. We're going to need to surface all of the perspectives, all of the options, ...in order to to be able to choose one and then still the answer is not going to be clear-cut... ...and to move forward with it is going to depend on the leadership of a number of people. Hmm. And, and these are the wicked problems. I think like, that's such an interesting model. And, and I recognise what Obama said, that he doesn't get to make most decisions. They're made long before they ever move into his line of sight... And for a leader in business, well, there's a couple of things. How often do we come across a leader who's describing how actually all of the decisions are up-delegated to them? And I'm sure we've said it before, that immortal line when, when somebody comes to you as a leader and says, hey, what should I do about this? And, and our answer is, of course...
1: I don't know. What do you think?
0: I don't know. What do you think? and off they go and they come back with with a suggestion and over time they always show up with with Mm. with suggestions and eventually they show up and they say hey this came up and this is what i did (laughs) yeah and so yeah so there's this piece here about are we pushing the decision making back down into the organization but there's another bit for me which is are we are we training our people and our teams and our organization progressively to be able to tackle ever harder decisions mm. Mm. yeah and have mm. we got an organization that can seek out those wicked problems mm. and deal with them cuz the problem with wicked problems is is that actually the leader can't answer them effectively him or herself to get to the best
1: answer we've got to have the whole team engaged on it mm. Hmm. I think that's right, I think it's really interesting because as you're saying that, you know I'm reflecting that some of the problems that Barack Obama had to take was because of his position yeah. as president of the USA and that is very different from you know being a CEO when actually you can push it down and you can get the team engaged and you can say what do you think and and he could do that to some extent but at the end of the day because of his position he had to make a call on certain big decisions and uh you know that's 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 what that sort came through Um, the other thing that just popped into my mind was you know what he did a lot of is before making a decision go and talk to a lot of people so whether they be Republicans or Democrats and what he said very clearly was I never came into politics saying all Democrats will agree with me and all Republicans won't and all Republicans are like this and all Democrats are like that or that, you know, all black people think this and all white people think that or all poor people think this and all rich people think that, you know, he said it is, it is, these are all grey areas and don't ever believe that, you know, people fall yeah. into boxes. So he would go out and talk to people from the Republicans, the, you know, the Democrats and all sorts and all parties and all uh, to, uh, to help him make and be in the best position to make a decision. Um, and, you know, companies like Toyota have a thing called um, consensus building. Uh, or Nemawashi, the Japanese word, where they go out and they talk to lots of people before they make a decision. They have it built into their processes. And I think that's a really powerful way of doing it, which forces the listening, you know, forces the going out and building that consensus. So before you make the decision, you've actually started the buy-in process in a sense, because people have felt engaged in the decision-making. And for a leader, that's I think that's really important. Um, well, it's two things,
0: isn't it? It's, are we are we going out and seeking differing opinions? And Obama was great how he put together the equivalent of what our Prime Minister would call a cabinet. He appointed people with a really broad range of almost opposing viewpoints to his own, as well as those that were sympathetic and, and aligned with him. So that really pressure tests uh, a decision. So we've got that, and then, as you say, we also have that these discussions they socialize the decision
1: Mm, mm, mm. it's the cognitive diversity isn't it which i don't know if we've mentioned before but you're talking about is you know don't surround yourself with people who think like you do because it's not going to help you very much but if you surround yourself with people who think differently that's going to help you enormously
0: yeah quite quite right fantastic so this is
1: a Brené Brown podcast
0: yeah she interviews some interesting people great I shall seek that out. Thank you. And what
1: about you, Ben? What have you been noticing these past few weeks?
0: A question. Again, a question. I think last time you asked me this, I'd noticed a question, and I have this time as well. This this is a question I've known for a long time. It's just come to the fore recently, and it's this. It's the idea that... In a leadership position, in the first day of a leadership position, we arrive in the organisation and we look and we find what we find and we're really taking notice what fits and what doesn't fit. And at the end of that day, we're already beginning to form our priorities. Whenever a leadership position changes, somebody says, don't they, new broom sweeps clean. And yeah know, and I think that that applies here this this first day mindset, and what is it that actually stands out and can be changed for the better? as leaders, we should have a first day pretty often, mm. pretty regularly, four times a year, six times a year, whatever we pick, we should metaphorically fire ourselves and start afresh the next day with this beginner's mindset and notice afresh everything about our team, about the business, about our thinking. Mm. So metaphorically fire yourself and have a first day.
1: And how okay, I love that. And uh, uh, yeah, a friend of mine used to call it house blindness. You know, when you, when you see a house that you're interested in buying, you notice all the wallpaper that doesn't fit and the, the, the carpet turned up in a corner and this, the sink that doesn't look very nice. But if you live there for six months, you forget all those things and you get used to it if you don't change them. Mm. Um, but so I, I buy into that entirely. Um, so what, what tools and techniques do you think there are um, for you know creating that beginner's mindset when you've been a CEO or a leader of a big division or whatever it is for a considerable period of time um, <clears throat> and you have got house blindness and you do see you know, everything as it is and it, it, it must be quite hard isn't it to say alright I'm gonna do a reset here. We can do
0: exactly as it says on the tin and note in our diary that I'm having a first day and maybe just jot as we go through the day or at the end of the day what are the things I noticed with this frame of mind what are the things I noticed and what will I do about each of these is there something to change is there something to be curious about is there something to raise with a team is there something here where the organization could really benefit from some blank sheet thinking it might just be that as simple as that is there any one thing that we could really do with starting with a blank sheet and thinking afresh Mm. about and then since you ask which of course takes my thinking a little bit further you said how do we do this if we've been in post as CEO perhaps for years
1: Mm.
0: so we are part of the furniture Hmm. Then what I might do is make sure that I'm also spending time in other businesses, with other leaders, to immerse myself in a different perspective. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's perfect,
0: isn't it? <clears throat> yeah. And then come back into the business.
1: <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I've been um I've been uh, running uh Bellbin recently again. Oh yeah. Um in a client and of course one of the Bellbin nine team roles is resource investigator. Um and uh uh, people who haven't, uh, uh, who are listening, who haven't seen Bellbin, Resource Investigator is usually um, very closely aligned to people who are great at sales um, or marketing. They're the people who are out there in the community, they're, they're networking, they're on the phone to people, they're reading magazines, they're basically bringing the outside into the organisation. They've got new ideas, they, they, they're constantly bringing in new ways that they've seen out there in the market. Um, and And those with high resource investigators are usually very good at doing what you 've just suggested, but you know they 're constantly you know, reading new stuff and getting new ideas and bringing them in. Um, the danger is, is that you know if you're if you 're not high on some character trait like that, you tend to look internally maybe you 're a bit more internally referenced um, but you do need to be prompted to say you know let 's look at this afresh and i i i I really like that this kind of you know blank sheet thinking great phrase um the other thing i thought of when you were saying that was um you know that question which um, we've uh, we've asked people many times which is what am i tolerating yeah um and uh I, I, and i thought when i wrote it down i thought um it, it seems quite negative and and you know but in a sense what we are looking at is is coming in and saying there's some stuff going on that i'm just you know I'm, I, and i'm sure you see it all the time and 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 that's the beauty of Of working with organisations as we both do is you can you can just draw attention to something that they know Uh, and you say well how long has that been going on and they say "Mm, a bit too long really Um, so it's that it's that blank sheet thinking again it's that kind of like well what is going on here that really you're not actioning
0: yeah absolutely and white sheet thinking I think is the phrase I was looking Mm -hmm. for but it's only come to me now and You're right, this is really similar to the question, what is it you're tolerating? But I think this gets us to other things. What are you tolerating is a powerful question. It always produces results. Of course, what it targets is our feeling of being conflicted about something. Something is not the way we want it or need it to be. But we don't know the answer, or the cost is too high, or it's going to involve conflict, or we just haven't got to it, so the status quo is preserved. But we've got this nagging feeling, whenever it comes up, which we call toleration. Hmm. So when we ask, what are you tolerating? Actually, we target the things that are already in awareness.
1: Yeah, but probably suppressed but suppressed
0: but they're in awareness and we get those yeah whereas when we have a first day we fire ourselves and we start afresh the the following day we're inviting ourselves to notice other things Mm. yeah we're Mm. actively looking for the things that aren't in some way in our consciousness
1: so i think it's good to do both yeah 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 yeah. you're getting into sort of unconscious incompetence now aren't we am i yeah yeah, well, no, but I, I, you know that's right, isn't it? Because I think what you draw my attention to here, quite rightly, is what I'm tolerating is what we're already we already know, but we've kind of suppressed, we've ignored, we've kind of you know let happen. Yeah. Um, but what you're saying is, well, what else? You know, what, what just you know this white white sheet thinking? What, what else? What 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 are we not paying attention to at all that we should be paying attention to? Um, uh, and that goes back to your earlier point, which was you know. Are we bringing new ideas into the business? Are we analysing the outside world enough? Are we looking at other new technologies or, or new markets or whatever it might be? Um, and of course, unless we're doing that, we're kind of blindsided. There, we're we're, mm. we're back to just looking at what we're tolerating because we it's what we don't know anyway. So you know, you know that, and that's why the outside in helps with people like you and I or somebody else coming into an organisation saying why are you doing it like that? And they've never noticed it. So it's not mm. that they're, to- they're, they're, they're they're tolerating it on purpose. They've just never noticed it. Or have you thought of this? Oh, I didn't know that existed. Yep. And and so it's the, it is that white sheet thinking, which is very important.
0: Great. Well, Ian, what have you noticed? What have I noticed? This is meant to be a quick segment <laughs> to get us rolling into I a know. podcast episode. And here we are again having chatted for a good 20 minutes on it so down to business
1: yeah let's go for it
0: strategy part three execution the clue is in the name we've spent two podcasts so far on strategy and we've not actually done anything yet we've come up with visions we've checked in with values we've been to our shareholders we found out what they want from the business we've Looks all around us and decided what's the position we're going to hold in our markets and how is that different and that might extend to what's the approach we're going to take and what are some of the things we're not going to do or or rather what's in scope what's not in scope but all of that hasn't produced us a plan hasn't produced any activity on the ground in the organization it's so much hot air so far don't you
1: think <laughs> yeah, well you're right of course um it's uh, it's really important hot air though i think is what we'd say yeah, is maybe. that you know you you've got to have the guide rails which is what we're talking about you've got to have those that big picture thinking otherwise you know you'll produce a great plan and implement it without enough pre-thought without enough you know uh, uh the vision, the values, the purpose, the positioning, all vital to have on the wall when you start that process and say, well, what is the plan going to be? How do we create this plan? Otherwise, you're you're creating it on a whim, really. You're creating it on, you know, uh, what I think and what you think and what might be possible, rather than a set of guide rails that, that really support your thinking.
0: Right, right. We are at the point, though, where we need to create a plan. And, of course, we could have had episode 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11 on the different things we could look at in that broader piece of strategic thinking. Hmm. And we'll do it differently every time. In fact, I was looking at my calendar yesterday, looking, looking ahead, and I'm facilitating three two-day strategy offsites, which, of course, are virtual right now yeah. Uh, yeah but but three of them and, and i noticed all three of them are completely different yeah and i'll go back to those organizations i hope they'll ask me back in in a year's time 18 months time and we'll do it again and we'll do it differently next time around so we keep the the big picture of strategy that piece of thinking we keep changing it up we keep it different that's part of the technique but we've got to form a plan so let's start there forming the plan
1: Hmm.
0: how do we go about that
1: well I think I think this is where you know a real I think there's a couple of things to say here to start with one is you've got to have um, some sort of cadence some sort of regularity um, every year in doing this and I agree that kind of the way you do it might well change to, to okay. sort of mix it up every year but what you have got to have is um, A knowledge that you know you're going to bring your top team together for one two maybe three away days over a period of time to start putting it together to start creating what it might be to start looking back at what what you've done start looking forward within your vision to see where you want to be to using those guide rails to start forming the plan in an inclusive way, so that everyone's bought in at that top level. You've got that clarity and alignment. Um, so I think the th- you know the first thing I'd say is you want that that discipline, that cadence in the diary, that knowledge that maybe if you're running an annual calendar um, and you launch a new uh, a new um, uh, plan from January, for example, that you probably start in October putting together the first away day, and you start thinking. You know what's going to be in the plan then you might go away and do a bit of thought and you come back and you do another thing and you cement it a little more in november for example or uh, that sort of thing so i think discipline is the first thing i put in there and some sort of cadence on getting the top team together
0: yeah and what this does for me the reason i feel this is important yeah, apart from generating a routine for this because if we generate a routine around it, it's far more likely to actually happen what we're really saying here in my eyes at least is it's it's a question what do we need to be doing now in order to take a step forward towards where our strategy tells us we need to be what do we need to be doing now in order to move forward to tomorrow mm. and yeah mm. and that that's what the plan is mm. in essence and by extension what do we need to be doing now this quarter what do we need to be doing next quarter and q3 mm. and q4 and and i agree with you very often it it's 12 months worth yeah and we might have in less detail in a less granular form the plan for year 2 mm-hmm. um, maybe year 3 and we know that's going to be flexible but this is it this is all about what do we need to be doing now to be ready for and take a step forward yeah to where we're going
1: yeah No, i agree the the long term is 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 so vital to understand what the short term is. You know, we can't sit there and say what we're going to do next year, um, especially when we're creating that timeline and chunking it into four, four quarters and twelve months, um, because what we're doing in the last quarter isn't something that's completely different from what we we're doing in the first quarter of the following year. You know, so we we've therefore got to have this this sense of this is a continuous plan that takes us towards our vision, um, and delivers on our strategy. But we have got to, for the sake of um, structure and uh, and near-term focus, to plan something that has a timeline of maybe a year, and then we break that down. So we've got to kind of do both, which is really important, I think, to look ahead and say, how does it fit in? And, you know, if we're saying we're going to develop a new product uh, next year, then the product's going to be launched the, you know, maybe the year after, you know, and then, so th- th- there's, there's quite a long time line we need to think about, um, whilst maybe creating in more detail, more granular, as you said, you know, the, the next year.
0: Mm, okay. And how does this work? Is it, is it a process just of working backwards from where we're going to be and working backwards to the present to find out
1: what we've got to do next? Well, I think it's, you know, it's, it's like anything, isn't it? It's, I think it's a bit of both, you know, I think these things are, are, are messy and, um, uh, you know, the ones I've, I've run, um, they're great fun to run, but they're awfully messy um, because people will come and say, I think we should do this and you'll end up, you know, at the end of a period of time with almost certainly too many things on the flip chart or the whiteboard. Um, And you know, I've always used the term strategic priorities, um, uh, uh, and I love the two words together. It's got to be strategic, and it's got to be a priority. And not everything can be a priority. And where I've had great fun with top teams is creating a list of twelve things, for example, which everyone said are really important, and then saying. What's the most important of the 12? If you could do nothing else, what's the most important of the 12? And then you'll get the discussion. Well, the, you can't. we can't say that. They're all important. Okay, well, if we could say that, what's the most important of the 12? And eventually, they'll say that one is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Great. So that is the most important. Yes, it is. Right. If we do that, that's a yes, it is. Right. Okay, let's take that off the flip chart. What's the most important left on the flip chart? And so on. And, and, and we'll get to a point where the team have said these are the most important six things we could do big picture strategic big things we're going to do next year um and then of course all the discussion around how many can we do what's the capacity of this organization to do more
0: yeah okay well let let me let me stop you there ian um totally agree strategic priorities and there's a question here how many can we have at any one time? So, uh, a bit like rock paper scissors. <laughs> let's let's both hold up our fingers and find out this how many good for the
1: audience in is your all...
0: book and in my book we can have, and, <laughs> and then we'll tell them, shall we? We will tell them. We, we, okay. <laughs> okay. We'll, yeah, that so, be a good idea. Yeah. Um, one finger per priority, Ian. Yeah. And yeah. I need yeah, to yeah. Give you a good yeah. description here. New thumbs. You can use thumbs if you're going to have that many. That'll be interesting. <laughs> okay. So here we go. How many can we have maximum at one time in the calendar year? Yeah. Okay. Okay. In a in a scale up business of the sort of size that we tend to talk about here, so it might have between fifty and one hundred and fifty people total, something like that. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Ready? Yep. Go. Hang on. We can't fit these on our screens. Oh yeah. I've said six, you've said uh,
1: six. There you go. Wow. <laughs> that was a fluke, from not So six. Yeah, there you go. That, well, I didn't expect us to both... Well, I, I, maybe I should have done, but that's great.
0: Yeah. Six. This is one of the key points for me. And you do this as well, I'm sure. As we begin working with any new organisation and trying to figure out what's what, a great question often is, tell me your strategic priorities. Mm. And if we get a list of 20, Mm. actually we know that there's no strategic (laughs) priority. If we get one or two, we've probably got an organization that is quite advanced, Mm. a long way on its journey. It's really clear, it's really aligned. Mm. And in the middle, five or six is a great number because the average top team, leadership team, which might have around about that many people, and in mm-hmm. a scale-up business, the chances are they're operating the business as well as doing the strategy and direction and leadership. Mm-hmm. Then if they've got five or six strategic priorities to deliver during six months or during a year, there's a fighting chance of them doing that.
1: I agree. Yeah. No, I completely agree. Um, it just reminds me also... Um, OK, I'll put this question to you, Ben. Ben. Um, You sit down at the end of a year, you come up with your six strategic priorities, Uh, everyone's agreed there are six strategic priorities. It comes to January and you crack on and you start your year of, of implementing and actioning those six strategic priorities. You come into March and it's clear to everyone in the top team there is something so important we have to do. That is probably going to become another strategic priority. Mm -hmm. What do you do?
0: We get the team together and we talk it through. And chances are we take one of the others off the list.
1: Yeah. But isn't there such a danger here? And you've seen it and I've seen it where we go, right, we've got this other thing we've got to do. Let's just add it in. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And we (laughs) kid ourselves. We can do all seven (laughs) and uh, we get to the end of the year. We've probably done five.
1: Yeah. So let's exactly. have
0: that conversation up front. Yeah. You know, Yeah, something's going to give, let's choose what it's going to be. Hmm.
1: Hmm. You know, another, yeah.
0: another way to think about this is these are our first priorities. Now, if we're strict about it, we can't have more than one first priority. It makes a mockery of the term, doesn't it? Mm maybe we can in the leadership team with a number of people because they can each take an ownership for a first priority. So that's the way we get to have uh a few a few of these. But yeah, that's that's my answer. Yeah. That's a moment for a disciplined conversation. This is one of those Barack Obama mm. moments actually. Mm. Mm. Okay. So are we really going to add in a new priority? Really? Really really? Are we certain? Why are we doing that? Let's check our rationale. Okay, and if we're doing that, what are we dropping? Hmm. And Hmm. we keep that meeting going until we know what we're dropping.
1: And I think one of the things uh, which I think we're alluding to is, as a leadership team, you need to understand that that's your process. Hmm. Um, uh, 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 Because I've seen too many... um, believing you can just add it on, you can layer another one on top and you know you can't and we know that and yeah and actually you know the, the, uh, often you create the six and then there's a big bun fight over can't we, we really should do that seventh Um and uh, yeah there's a, there's a big danger in here as you said you know you do five and um uh it's got you've got to be ruthless on this um uh uh, and the other thing you think you've just you've just mentioned also, which is a way of kind of I I, I like the competitive tension of assigning a, you know you've got to have somebody accountable for each of those strategic priorities, um, and getting that competitive tension in there about you know, which is the most important and how am I supporting somebody else's strategic priority when I'm accountable for one over here um, and how am I critiquing their other strategic priorities. So if I'm in marketing I need to understand what technical development are doing or what, pro- or what R&D are doing or what sales are doing or what operations are doing because this, I'm, a, I'm, a lead, I'm a leader in the business I need to be involved in them creating this although I'm not the expert, I need to critique them, I need to see how well they're doing, I need to understand why it's important for the business, and then then when we come to what we've just talked about, there's a new strategic priority that we've got to all go, I can contribute to that debate over, well, which one should we drop, which is the least important now?
0: Yeah, well, we want to have as many voices heard as there are in the leadership team. Two giant things in here. For me the first is that the leadership team and what do we mean by leadership team you and I here we just mean the team at the top Mm. and it's called different things in different organizations but it's that team at the top and the leadership team it's got to understand that there's two horizons and a nuance so the two horizons are the operational horizon what's going on in the business now and This month, next month, and this quarter, the operational horizon of the business. And it's got to work. We've got to make progress. We've got to hit our numbers. We've got to serve our customers, and so on. And then we have a second horizon, the strategic horizon, which is where we're going. And all of that thinking that we've been talking about in strategy part one and strategy part two, our podcast that led us up to today... And then there's a nuance, which is inside the operational horizon, there are the five or six things we are doing today to move the business forward to tomorrow.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's important that the team thinks about those two horizons and that they've got that context of the strategic priority. There's a lot going on. Let's mm-hmm. not forget that we've got a business to run and customers to serve and delight and people to... Higher and everything that it takes mm.
1: to run the business mm. and keep mm. it
0: steadily moving forward. And on top of that, we're going to do some additional things, five or six things to move the business forward. Mm. And I think mm. if we if we got it in that context, it acts as a break. Uh, we're not tempted to overload ourselves because it already feels like a big ask to be executing mm. strategic mm. priority on top of running the business. So that's point number one, Mm. those two horizons and the nuance. Mm. And then the the next one, something you mentioned, and this is an activity that I frequently do actually with a, a team as we form the strategic plan. And we'll talk about some ways of forming the strategic plan in a moment. Quite often a big part of that and the natural way to do that is where are we going? What do we think we need to do to get there? Let's prioritise, okay, five or six tops. Here's our plan.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, there's another activity that frequently I do in parallel, which is I ask everybody in the leadership team to write down either the plan for themselves and their function or the priorities for themselves and their function. And often in a business, there's a way of doing this. Um, They might be using 135 plans, they might be doing something else. But get everybody to rock up to that meeting with let's say an A3 sheet for arguments purposes, and then we can put it on the wall around the room. And this is me, these are my priorities for my team, for my part of the business, this year. I want you all to know so that up on the wall, we'll spend some time, we'll walk around, uh, allow a good half hour for this, find out exactly what everybody else is doing. And then there's a powerful conversation to be had. And that conversation is, we all know everybody's priorities now, the current priorities. Are those priorities correct? Is there something that needs to be inserted? into those priorities is there something that needs to be moved to the top is there something that needs to be moved down the stack that's one another is as a business which of these priorities are the really important ones for us Mm. which of these priorities that could exist on any one of those A3 sheets around the room which of these are so important that actually the whole leadership team should be behind it. Mm. And I do this in combination with the other parts of the the planning because it captures the here and the now and what's going on and what are the priorities which are a response to some weakness in our current position in the company rather Mm. than the priorities that flow from where we're trying to get to. So I love that exercise. It both socialises everything that's going on but it brings a lot of challenge on actually what are what are the priorities and it says well actually we've done that exercise and we can see there's two massive priorities already here yeah and the consequence of that of course is that we can only add on four forward-looking priorities yeah. not not six Whew. i yeah, think no. i spoke for quite a while then so over to you for a minute Ian. well
1: no very you know uh, uh, it's great when you hear you know the story of how you do it because I think it brings it to life and that's what you were doing then um, and the one thing I think is powerful because I've used a very similar technique of putting it on the walls and getting people to do some prep beforehand um, the one thing I think is very powerful is forget people to say what are the independencies between these plans mm. because you know, one of the things you, you can't do in a business is obviously just run six plans that six people go off and do because suddenly you go, well, actually, I need you to do this part or I can do my part. You know, it's a team after all. Um, and I think then the timeline gets affected and the resources get affected and, the you know, everything gets affected. So um, the interdependencies is such a strong conversation to be having between all the different plans. And that comes back to, you know, what I was saying earlier and, and, and you, you you were agreeing with, which is I need to know what your plan is, um, you need to know what my plan is. I need to know how I can support you and how you can support me. And and, and, and when we buy into everyone else's plan, we're able actually, with a big picture. And that sometimes incentive programs can support or um get in the way of this sort of discussion where if there's a big decision to be made over should resources be deployed into your plan or my plan I have to be big enough to say do you know what yours is more important than mine mm-hmm. let's yet let's, let's lose that money in your plan let's me devote some of the resource I've got to you because it will make the business work it will head it will it will take us on our journey towards the vision so you know this 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 um, being able to to compromise really on the bigger picture um, and the other thing I wanted to say was um, this piece about bringing a new strategic priority in at, kind of, you know, at, at any point really in, in, in the year and that is whilst we should agree at a senior level here's the process we, we, you know, we're going to have things that happen next year that we haven't even foreseen and if we agree they're a priority we'll put them in and we'll decide as a team what we should drop. That's a, that's a great thing to have, but the question is, how do you know and assess whether it's a strategic priority or just somebody thinks it's a good idea? And uh, there is a a, a a method that 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 I've that, that I've seen in companies and I've used, um, and it's called an A3. And you yeah, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's called an A3 because it's a, it's on an A3 bit of paper. Yep. And it basically looks at what's the objective, what's the, what's the plan, how much is it going to cost, how many re- what resources is it going to be used up, why is it a, a strategic priority, how does it take us towards our vision, etc. Et There's a whole bunch of boxes. You can find it, you can Google A3 on, uh, on the web. Um, but what it does is it, it means that, let's say, Ben, you are saying I've got this thing it's got to happen this year what we say to you is okay come to the next management meeting take the time to fill out an A3 and work out what is the ROI on this new strategic priority you think is so important to the business and present it and we'll critique it as a team we'll look at you and go that sounds fantastic yes it is a strategic priority or do you know what I don't think it's formulated well enough yet uh, or I think it's going to cost us too much and impact this so we have a proper really proper in-depth discussion about bringing this in or not bringing this in Um, and so something like that is very important you can develop your own version in organizations you don't have to copy what you see on the web but uh, it's very important to have something like that I think and I've used that on many occasions
0: yeah I like it a slightly different way of, of doing that is two questions. When the priority is put on the table, the easy and obvious question is, does this fit with our overall strategy and direction? We should always be asking that. Yeah. And then the next one is, what's the rationale behind this idea?
1: Hmm.
0: And it's really similar to your ROI question, but often I prefer it. Both of them have got their place. What's the rationale is an earlier stage question. Why do I think this is important? How is this going to contribute? What's the argument for doing this? If I'm putting one of these on the table, and particularly if it's something new, it's a new direction for us taking us into new pastures, I might not be too clear on exactly how to measure or describe the ROI. But I am clear on the mm, mm. the rationale, so mm. I might I might mm. you know for for some ideas, and, and of course you can have an A3, you can have versions of it, can't you? Mm. And you can give people the options to do an A3 that explains the rationale, or an mm-hmm. A3 that goes further and explains the ROI exactly as exactly. well. Yeah, I love it. That, that's a that's a good discipline, I think, for inclusion and exclusion of ideas. Something else to think about here, and we're spending a lot of time, aren't we, on what is a strategic priority and which ones do we let in and which ones don't we? Who knew it was as big a topic, eh? I know. (laughs) There's at least a couple of types, and what I'm thinking of is we're going to find some strategic priorities that sit neatly in a function. Yeah. Like, perhaps, a simple example, we're going to, we need to relaunch the website. yeah Yeah, redesign it fresh brands and different content some new functionality gateways on there to take visitors into some sort of a trial perhaps a step change in our website that's largely a strategic priority that sits within Mm. a single function and then we can have uh, a strategic priority that sits across functions and that could be a good leadership topic, we need to drive engagement in the business and get our EMPI scores up, mm. for example. Mm. Or maybe, I'm thinking of an airline. Now, airlines tend not to be scale-up businesses. They tend to already be, already be big. But in an airline, we might have uh, a strategic priority to ensure that the flights leave on time. Mm-hmm. And to do that, actually, every single department needs to be behind that priority. And of course, any manufacturing business, any project-based service business, probably any business could have a cross-business on-time driver. Yeah, But they're completely different. So back to your earlier point, when we've got it all on the wall, around Mm. the room, Mm. virtually right now, but Mm. we've got it out there, we've socialised the whole lot, Mm -hmm. we've got the team engaged in agreeing and disagreeing about what those priorities are and moving them up and down the stack then just as you were saying every leader's got to be thinking about okay how do I champion my priority? Which other leaders here do I need assistance from? Who else do I need to champion my priority and to sponsor my priority or to put resources into it? That's one. The other is Which of these priorities actually sit across the whole business Mm. and we have to approach them
1: as a team yeah 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 no it's a great point that you know that um and i think some organizations uh struggle more with the um cross department strategic priorities it's very easy to come up with something that sits within your department um for me, uh, yeah, a lot of years ago I did a lot of work with in, in, in BP as a consultant um, and they made very distinct lines between accountability, responsibility and communication, oh, and information as well. Um, and whatever the strategic priority was would only ever have one person accountable. Mm. Uh, But then within the plan that you're producing, you would clearly identify who cross-functionally in different parts of the organization was gonna be responsible for different aspects of it. But you would have to drive the ownership. And when you come back to the, senior leadership team and report which is going to be i think the subject of our fourth strategy session the kind of control part of all this and the um looking at how we implement it and and uh and measure it when you come back and you say how it's going there can only ever be one person saying this is how this strategic priority is going i might invite somebody else to come in and comment on it but i'm i'm accountable for it
0: yeah this trips up so many teams In those two ways, we arrive at the point where for the first time in the existence of the company, there's a priority that crosses all functions and that might not be recognized or we don't know how to deliver one of those. So get it on the table, recognize it, and now let's discuss as a team, how are we as a team going to get this delivered? And then the second trap is is exactly that one. Slightly counterintuitively, we still give it an owner. But for differences mm. we're saying, this is a team mm. priority. We are all responsible for this. And Ian, your job, your job is to hold us to account, to be accountable for this. Mm. You're responsible for making sure the whole team moves forward.
1: Yeah, on, exactly. On this. Exactly. And, and, and part of the practicality of that is for the CEO to be able to turn around to one person and say, what's happening? Mm. You know, I've seen it and I've, you know, I've seen it too often where the CEO's saying, Oh, you two are running this project, what's happening? And it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work.
0: Yeah. And, and I think when businesses grow to the point or become you know, gain enough complexity that they see they've got these strategic priorities that sit across functions, then the smart thing to do is only allow one of these cross functional. Priorities, the first time round. Mm. Two at a stretch. And then once we've delivered a couple and we're familiar with it and we've got the positive reinforcement of having succeeded, then we can have three or four if needed. But don't try and run before you can walk.
1: Yeah, they're with, tougher to with, do,
0: aren't with they? With these. Hey, we're, we're a long way in here. Let's just sweep up, shall we, some of the, the techniques and, and structures that can be used here in quick form. I'll start. We can use the one, three, five. You and I both use that. And we've mentioned it in previous podcasts. In brief, this is a really simple form of planning. We have a single top level vision or goal or objective, just one of them. And beneath that, we have three concrete goals that feed into that three concrete goals that if we achieve those, we will substantially achieve the one. And then below Mm -hmm. each of the three, we have progress item, progress goals. And it's called a one, three, five, because when you draw it up, you try and get the top five in there. Mm. And although there might be many more than five progress goals, same thing applies. We only allow ourselves five at a time, really. Mm -hmm. So this is our one, three, five, super simple, when we get a team to put one of these together they might remind themselves what does the strategy look like where are we going what's the vision the values all of these pieces we've been talking about okay then for our coming 12 months what's our one Mm -hmm. and then what are our three concrete goals and they iterate a bit between those two Mm -hmm. doing the three clarifies the one and vice versa and then we get the fives so that's a useful tool here
1: it's a great tool um and uh I don't know anyone who doesn't like it once they discover it because um, yeah. it's nice and simple and, and, and very good for teams. Um, a, a tool that I've, you know, um, taken from many sources and kind of created a, a, my own version, but there are numerous uh, versions out there. Well, there's a couple of things I'd say. One is a a big picture. I love things on one page. A one-page strategic plan which is uh, usually something like an A3 and on there you capture a lot of things you capture briefly vision values purpose perhaps positioning then you'd capture your six strategic priorities in headline who's accountable and perhaps a key target or measure on that and we'll talk about that in strategy four. Um, and then you might break those down a little bit on that page. But they're not the detail, they're the big, big picture that everyone can go, that's it, that's it. Then I believe, and this is something that an all, a lot of organisations don't handle great, very, very well, but it's essential, and that is you have a common framework, a common format to create your strategic priority. And it can be a Word doc, it can be a PowerPoint presentation, a keynote, whatever it is. But have something that you say, these are the categories, Uh, these are the titles we're going to each have in our strategic priority and everyone's going to have the same format and when we've created them we share them, everyone reads them, you know, and we've got them all in one place. And that seems obvious to do but unfortunately I've seen too many where that isn't the case. Uh, you know, and you can't really hold anyone to account account for that unless you've got something written down that you can pull out the drawer, pull out the the filing cabinet, pull off the web and uh, whatever it is, store yep. and have a look at it.
0: Okay, so one page strategic plan and the A3 as well. That was another another tool along the way. Another one. This is a principle rather than a tool, I guess, that I call logical performance planning. And it's it's what we were talking about earlier. It's mm-hmm. starting with the current circumstance of the business mm-hmm. and working forward from that. So we could use the question that uh, you reminded us of earlier. What are we tolerating right now? Where are we weak right now? And what priorities do we need to add in to strengthen ourselves in those places where we might get a couple of our strategic priorities that way so it's a it's a logical process starting from the here and now as opposed to working backwards from where we'd like to be that's useful and it reminds me Mm -hmm. Ian of the good old SWAT and oh yes, people listening. Half of them just switched off because the SWAT is so boring, right? <laughs> <laughs> half of them switched off. Another half said, "Well, hang on, no, the SWAT is to do with that broader, blue skies, uh, wider, strategic thinking. I might use it here as well. And and the way that I use SWATs always is in combination with the objective that we are trying to achieve with the SWAT. Yeah." So it's useful from time to time to just do a SWOT as a standalone, but also think about using a SWOT with an objective. So if we're doing planning for the year ahead, and let's say our big effort right now is to make progress towards being the leader, the number one in our market segment. So our question is, what will make us number one in our market segment? yeah now do a swap, yeah, yeah, very and targeted I'm very targeted for the purpose of answering that question, maybe narrow it down to a two by two by two by two or a three by three by three by three, so actually, with that goal in mind, what are the two most important strengths that we should play to? What are the two most important weaknesses that we should find a solution for, and the same for opportunity and threat that we should play to and mitigate and that can be really useful at this sort of stage it might produce a couple of priorities it might do what you were talking about give us the line in the sand to say no to some priorities as as
1: well yeah i'm a big fan of the swap and i believe it's um it's underused uh probably now because it it was overused you know uh, a long time ago um, yeah, yeah uh, totally so, and
0: yeah and that's why I was a bit cheeky about it um, if we have got mm. listeners that are cynical about it then drop the cynicism just come at the sWAT afresh
1: yeah I think I just re- just just had a thought on this so there's there's, there's a number of other tools I'd mentioned but I'm just going to mention them and what I think we should say Ben is uh, if anyone, Wants to know more about any of the tools we've mentioned? Just drop us a line, Ian at Ian yep. and Ben, ben at benwells.com, and we'll send you a, a yes. sort of a blank version. Um, the other ones that are very useful, of course, are Pest or Pestle. Pestle um, lots of versions of that, which is sort of external analysis. You've got things like the Boston Matrix, which looks at um, you know your products and where they sit in in a sort of four box matrix. You've got the Ansoff Matrix, which uses. Yeah, I was about to Ansoff in. Uh, markets and products and you know um going uh, getting new and existing of both and you've got scenario planning which is you know another great tool to be used there's a whole bunch of tools we could talk about here um, yep. which we haven't got time for but if anyone's interested in any of those either look them up get in touch and we'll help you out
0: yeah and some of those are are more for the early stage blue sky big strategic thinking more than they are the the planning yeah but equally we want them in the background of the planning. So if you're listening and thinking, what's an answer? I've never heard of that. As Ian says, email. And it might not be a planning tool, but it is something you should put in place for the background and it will inform your yeah. planning. OK,
1: well, let's stop there,
0: Ian, because I know you need to go and get vaccinated.
1: I do. I know. I'm very excited about it. AstraZeneca, come on. (laughs) Well, you might get Pfizer. (laughs) No, I think I'm getting AstraZeneca. I have a feeling I am.
0: Good. I'm so glad that you're getting your jab. Don't don't be late for that. And hey, thank you. This is turning into, I think, well, it is. We're here. It's a long episode, but so much good stuff uh, in here. So thank you for that, Ian. And... Go get your jab. I'll see you in two weeks.
1: Wonderful. Yeah, great chat, Ben. And uh, hopefully people have taken value. And uh, as uh, reiterate, get in touch if you want any more information on any of these tools and things we've spoken about. Absolutely. Goodbye. Bye for now.